The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Stewardship Through Respect with your host, Holly Wells. The model of being overworked, stressed out, and oblivious to the world around us is no longer viable. We need to become engaged and take an active stand for those issues that are important to us. Get ready to engage and interact with our discussion. Now, here is Holly Wells. Welcome. Welcome to today's show. We have many guests lined up for you today. It's our final episode of the series of Stewardship Through Respect. And so our first guests today are Jack Hart and Philip Bangerter. And we are here to talk about Thwink.org. And for today's discussion, we actually have a PDF available. So anybody who is listening on the Internet and has access, you can go directly to ilovenature.com, which is E-Y-E, ilovenature.com. And if you see on the far right there something that says uh, PDF to download to, to, for today's podcast, you can click on that. Or if you're at ilovenature.com and you're on the radio show page, if you're normal going there to see our show episodes listings, you can see there there is a PDF. Uh, so that, that will help you just follow along a little bit. Our topic today is a little in-depth, but I think we're all going to be excited to talk about this journey. It is going to be, again, with Jack Harich. He is um, had his career in small business management and consulting. He decided to say goodbye to solving business problems and hello to solving the most important problems in the world, the environmental sustainability problem. We here definitely agree with that. Uh, Thwink.org, it's a small Thwink tank. It was founded that year in 2001. The mission of Thwink.org is to help solve complete sustainability using the most efficient and effective methods available. Jack's role has been to apply his training, which is a BS in systems engineering, and his experience in the business world to develop and apply this comprehensive problem-solving process. So this has led to some novel discoveries, some innovative tools. Many have been published, along with um, Philip Bangarder. He is also joining us, and he is also an author of their first peer-reviewed paper in the world on the subject of systematic change resistance to solving the global environmental sustainability problem. So, welcome, Jack, to the show, and we'll bring Philip in in a moment. Um, welcome to the program. Well, well, thanks, Holly. Uh, I'm very glad to be here. We have a, uh, a tricky um, approach to helping to solve the environmental sustainability, so um, we're going to take it slow and easy and explain how a process, kind of a problem-solving process-driven approach is going to get us better results than what we've been taking so far. So you want to get us started on that, Holly? I do, I do. So again, we're here with the Thwink, and they are um, their mission is sustainable education. And we've already said, if you can go to the uh, website, ilovenature.com, click on the PDF, download that, and just might help the discussion to have that in front of you. Um, and also with us joining, I just want to say hello and welcome to the program as we're starting our live discussion, uh, Philip. 
and he's the project manager for the Common Property Management Rights Project at Thwink.org. And his focus is to bring the project to fruition. He has an honors degree in mineral processing. He's a consulting engineer, primarily in the mining industry. He is well-published in the area of sustainability in mining. He's led sustainability practice at a major international engineering firm from 2004 to 2011. He is also an adjunct professor at the University of Southern Queensland Center for Sustainable Business and Development. And again, he has also developed this model, the system improvement process, with Jack. So welcome, Philip. Yeah, good morning, uh, uh, Holly, uh, and to all your listeners, um, uh, and good afternoon for those in North America. Perfect. Okay, now just to get us started, I know that your model, um, the process here, it really focuses on root cause analysis. Can we actually have, just start focusing a little bit about that discussion? Uh, sure. Uh, first off, what is a root cause? Um, it's not necessarily the deepest cause of the problem, because that might be, for example, the existence of the universe, but it's the deepest cause that can be resolved by a solution. Uh, the most common analogy is medicine. A doctor diagnoses a patient's problem, that is, what is the cause of, of various symptoms, and it's not until the good doctors run a bunch of tests that they decide now here is the root cause that I think I can cure with various treatment. What Thwink.org has done is take the business tool of root cause analysis and develop a process that allows it to apply to difficult large-scale system problems, social problems like sustainability. So that's what what Thwink Twink.org is trying to do. We're trying to bring this tool to environmental organizations. Fantastic. Well, I love the starting point that you're starting with the root cause analysis because that is so that is so important to the process. And as far as things arising from the root process, if a solution is failing, it is because they didn't really go the solution didn't resolve the root cause of the problem, their identification. So I love that the model here is very iterative. For example, um, you go in here and you give us an example. Please go ahead of finding the root cause and how that was so systemic and helpful. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, A real common example that a lot of people are familiar with is what happened before antibiotics were invented? Well, that was the early days of medicine, and it could barely be caused medicine because uh, the doctors assumed that infectious disease was caused by noxious forms of bad air. And so diseases like cholera and the plague and smallpox and measles were caused by dirty water or foul air or decomposed matter, etc. They didn't really know the root cause. But eventually, they discovered that the root cause of infectious disease was germs. And all of a sudden, they could develop solutions that would work the first time. So instead of treating a patient's fever with a cold bath, for example, they could say, you know, I think you have a certain type of infection, and they could treat it eventually with antibiotics. And that changed everything. It almost doubled people's lifespans all by itself. It's an amazing example of the power of root cause analysis. Mm-hmm. And I guess, Jack, uh, 
the uh, the other analogy you could use is in uh, manufacturing, where uh, uh, the uh, particularly in the post World War Two era. Um, the Japanese especially found that uh, the number of defects in manufacturing processes was uh, was far too high and uh, looking for um, uh, solutions to that, uh, they, they worked their way past intermediate causes and into root causes um, uh, to reduce the number of defects in the manufacturing processes. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And Philip, out of curiosity, what happens when somebody has a huge complex problem and they don't use root cause analysis. Well, uh, I guess the uh, the most obvious there is that uh, you end up with a with a cause that's not quite uh, enough to get you to uh, to a solution. And 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 uh, Jack's work uh, normally describes those as intermediate causes. And uh, very typically, that uh, is uh, the human condition is looking uh, for immediate causes in the immediate area of concern. Um, now that's the way we evolved. And uh, when we were in more simple societies, in hunter-gatherer societies, for instance, then uh, your most pressing problems were, were very um, proximate indeed. Um, as a society has obviously developed vastly and it's become very complex, um, we're still looking for those intermediate courses as a natural co course uh, in our lives. And uh, it's very easy to overlook uh, uh, root causes because they're not obvious and you end up solving uh, the wrong problem. And, uh, and that's uh, where the, the majority of uh, Jack's work within Twink.org has, uh, has taken us, is to looking towards root causes rather than intermediate causes. Yes, and when we spoke before, that was really a key point that I love that we spoke about and want to talk more about. So all the local environmental issues, they're really part of a larger systemic problem. And that's really why this process is so helpful. Again, going back to your diagram, it's really all the iterations and that's so helpful that you're focusing on the problem definition, moving into the root cause analysis. That right there gets into this lovely social force diagram that I would love to touch on a little bit later. But um, I just well, yeah, Holly, I, I think I used in a previous discussion. I think I used a small lake as the as the example of trying to uh, um, to fix a small lake. Well. That's not necessarily a very difficult problem, and it is quite proximate. Uh, you can usually identify the two or three incoming pollutants into a small lake and resolve that by uh, by fixing those up. And uh, there must be hundreds or indeed thousands or tens of thousands of examples of that over the last 30 years. And that leads us to thinking that environmental sustainability problem is slowly being solved. But um, I think if we look at the, the grander scheme, um, uh, Jack's argument here is that indeed it's not being solved adequately enough because we um, we are not really uh, getting to grips with some of the big ticket uh, uh, issues in the sustainability problems, such as climate change. Uh, climate change is is one of um, a dozen or so, but uh, um, we don't get there because we're solving these intermediate issues, such as small lakes and river systems or uh, or perhaps a polluted city uh, at a time rather than the entire problem. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Perfect. I would love, Jack, if you would um, briefly describe the tool for us. That would be fantastic to t before we get much further into our discussion. Sure. Um, uh, Philip and I are both engineers. Uh, we love to use the right tool, and if we don't have it, we love to find the right tool, and if we can't find it, we love to build the right tool. I love so, that. 
So what we had to do, unfortunately, it took a number of years, was create a process that fit the problem. And that's called the system improvement process. Uh, it's built around root cause analysis. Uh, the process has four steps. Problem definition. Step number two is root cause analysis. Step number three is solution convergence. And step number four is implementation of the solution. Step number three, solution convergence, is where nearly all time is spent right now in environmentalism, trying to figure out the right solution. And they keep testing and they keep trying and nothing works. So they can't go to full implementation. They keep trying and trying and trying. We hypothesize as engineers, as from the business world, that the reason is that environmental organizations, all the way from little ones up to the United Nations Environmental Program, are skipping step number two. That is, they're skipping root cause analysis. Uh, once you understand what a root cause is, of course, this is fairly obvious. So that's what the process does. We perform our root cause analysis using what's known as a social force diagram. Um, this is a very, very simple diagram with only uh, seven nodes. You start with your problem symptoms and then you say, now what's the immediate cause? Uh, like in the case of somebody's uh, running a fever, what's, what's the immediate cause? Um, well, you don't really know at first, so you have to guess. In the case of uh, um, climate change, what's the immediate cause? Well, it's way too many fossil fuels being burned, too many greenhouse gas emissions. And so that leads to solutions like um, a carbon tax uh, or uh, just a reduction of consumption uh, in general, reduce, reuse, recycle uh, to lower greenhouse gas emissions. But it hasn't been working. So we know that's an intermediate cause and the root cause. In other words, we've been working with superficial or symptomatic solutions. That's what our social force diagram tells us. So if your solutions aren't working, they must be trying to resolve intermediate causes. So what is the cause of your intermediate cause? Well, you look at the social force diagram and you say, well, the cause of the intermediate cause if you follow the causal chain down, must be a root cause. So you perform an analysis and you find the root cause. And then, of course, when you work on the problem now, you can push on the high leverage points in the structure of the system with what we call fundamental solutions. And these make a huge difference. They change everything. That's, that's I'm going to stop you. Yes, that is a good teaser for everyone. Fundamental solutions. We're going to be right back. That We're talking about the social force diagram of the Thwink.org SIP model. And we'll be right back after a quick break to talk about the social force diagram. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This program is sponsored by ILoveNature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? 
Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E lovenature.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back. We are again here with Wink.org with Jack Harge and Philip Rangarder. And we are here, we had just before the break, um, started talking about the social force diagram. And we had just gotten a teaser and a lead in here. So we were just talking about the importance of the root cause analysis, reasons why some things, when you'd have the initial solution and it doesn't um, cause, sorry, it doesn't solve the root cause, it's not effective. So we were just getting ready to go into the model. Those of you who have the PDF, just take a look. And those that don't, we just want to talk again about social force because social force is the key of the model of why things, we've done a lot of work here. A lot of people are passionate about these causes. There's a lot of action, but they don't seem to, um, as he said, get movement and move forward. So it's really, uh, this whole model is looking at the root cause, looking at all the different iterations and then finding those forces that are maybe not always so easy to see. And so that's why they're not initially the ones that are easily attacked or um, identified. But if you look below and attack those, that's when you're really going to see effective change. So that's where I would like to bring on Philip and we can um, talk about this a little bit more. So that's right. Holly, uh, you'll recall I, I mentioned earlier about um, uh, um, the proximate causes being, or intermediate causes being a little easier to see, and that's our natural instincts. Uh, digging deeper into the, uh, through, through that sort of superficial layer and into um, the fundamental layer where it's much more difficult to see what uh, solutions might work uh, is what Jack's work has been all about over the last 10 or so years. Um, so getting past the intermediate causes into root causes is actually quite a, um, a difficult step uh, in, in terms of analysis and it can take a long time um, depending on what your social system is and, and what your social problems are. Uh, but once there and finding those fundamental solutions, the, uh, the solutions uh, work very, very quickly and uh, that's really where we need to um, pursue the environmental sustainability problem is to is to use fundamental solutions and uh, and what Jack calls high leverage points in the system. So um, Jack, I wonder, um, have you got an example of of where uh, high, high leverage points might be used? High leverage points. 
well, we could use another example. Um, sure. The invention of democracy. Um, the problem that solved was the autocratic ruler problem. And so the problem symptoms were low quality of life for everybody except the rulers, the aristocratic class. And the inter intermediate cause was, was kind of a bad ruler. And so uh, the superficial solutions revolved mostly around revolution. And it was a terrible way for um, countries and regions to run their, their societies because there was upheaval all the time. Um, there were bad rulers most of the time <clears throat> because of, of a variety of reasons. The root cause, if you look at it in retrospect, was there was no easy, straightforward, acceptable way to, to choose a ruler. They were, they were self-perpetuating. The people had no control. So the high leverage point, what made all the difference started long ago um, in ancient Greece and really hit its stride with the Magna Carta, which um, created in writing that people had certain rights. Okay, that small idea that people have certain rights grew and grew and grew into people eventually said, you know, we, 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 we really need the right to choose our rulers because they are running our country for us, not themselves. And once that right uh, hit, um, hit its stride in the writings of various writers, the fundamental solution of democracy came along, and it added the voter feedback loop, which pushed on that high leverage point. That's an example. Yeah, and a, a great an, example. Yeah, <laughs> Go very ahead. important. A very important one, and uh, um, and 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 it worked very well in ancient Greece. Uh, but it was really the uh, the American Revolution that uh, and the French uh, Revolution that brought it uh, uh, brought it into the modern day, I guess, and uh, it moved us all the way through to the European Union and so on to avoid all of these uh, these uh, autocratic ruler problems. Um, they haven't all gone, of course, but. Uh, in the majority of the world, we no longer face that problem. Yeah, yeah. And notice how different the intermediate cause was from the root cause. Intermediate cause of bad ruler. Root cause of no easy way to choose or replace rulers. Hugely different. Um, the same thing is true when you analyze the sustainability problem. Once you go down to the fundamental layer, trying to find those root causes, they are astoundingly different from what people are addressing right now. So does the model ask a lot of questions? How does it help one brainstorm all these questions? I understand the importance of the model and there's a lot on your site, I clicked on it, but what kind of gets you in that iterative um, mindset that kind of gets you identifying all the subprocess? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Holly, that's a fantastic, exciting question because root cause analysis says you don't brainstorm anything you keep asking why does this happen and you inspect the system and see what the cause is. It's a completely different way of thinking, which is why at Thwink.org we say welcome to a whole new way of thinking. <laughs> That's fantastic and it truly takes me back to when I would help out my mother. She was a um, 
Sunday school teacher and one of the students was a special needs and he was on some Ritalin and sometimes she would set me aside to help him, you know, pacify some time and he would always constantly ask these questions. I was not a mother, still am not, but he would always that question, why? Why? And I really would find it fascinating and a challenge because I love challenges to always um, really answer him with a thoughtful insight. But that is um, very intriguing to keep asking that same question. So I love this uh, going through the model and just asking the same question again and again. If you really take it seriously and you look at the results of your last inquiry, you do build and gain insights on it. So that's that is simple, but so easy and fascinating to get good results. Right. And related to that is is the interesting fact that if you find yourself brainstorming solutions, that is a sure sign that you don't know what the root causes are. You have essentially skipped or misperformed the root cause analysis skip because you should never be brainstorming solutions. You should be saying, what's, why is this? Why is that? Until you find the root cause. And then you say, now, what is the high leverage point? And now the solutions become obvious. You're, you're, you're only working on the finer details of the solutions that are obvious because the high leverage points are. It's, it's a, again, it's a whole new way of thinking. Yes, it is. So let's talk about the outputs of the model and what the deliverable does to the model. Um, we know what the, pro- the process is now. We've looked at it. So why all of this information? How is it necessary and helpful to our users? Okay. If- Want to try that, Philip? Oh, uh, that's a great question. And uh, um, the 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 way to think of this is that uh, it's it's for a class of problem that is a, is uh, usually a, a difficult social problem, and uh, the sustainability problem, the global sustainability problem, is indeed one of those very large social problems. So you do need um, a, a problem of this class to make the system improvement process worthwhile to be using you need uh, you need that uh, whether or not you're in brainstorming mode or any other mode and not and only finding the uh, superficial um, solutions um, and you need uh, you need uh, a very good analytical mind and that's where Jack uh, Jack really excels is in analysis I've been an engineer for uh, all my working life, and uh, it's it's the deliverables that you get out of root cause analysis in the engineering world um, are the elimination of defects. That's uh, that's very often the way a group of engineers will try to figure out what went wrong with a particular design or a particular installation or a particular manufacturing process would be to look at defect and elimination, and they ask those questions uh, why why and keep asking until it becomes. Uh, um, it becomes obvious what is the root cause. Um, that, that's not brainstorming. That's uh, that's a question, question and answer process. So uh, the outputs from uh, from the process should be um, solution elements that push on high leverage points. That's the uh, that that's what the outputs uh, become. So to take a particular problem that uh, an organization might have, um, a social problem that's it's not obvious where the, uh, where the solutions lie, uh, and to apply the system improvement process uh, will, uh, uh, if successful, uh, bring out solution elements that push on high leverage points. That's the, uh, that's the deliverables. Fantastic. So they come up with, um, and again, all the uh, root cause 
sub-problems as they identify them. This sounds very challenging. So you keep exhausting the question why. You kind of rank, do you do kind of a ranking or do you just kind of, um, when you have all of them before you, what's the typical number of sub-processes people should or some problem, sorry, of the process that people should keep asking the question why to make sure that they haven't like exhausted it. So clearly three, that's should be pretty simple. Um, but clearly the identification of more, because like I just said, um, very typical of probably a lot of people is we're in a very busy process lifestyle. We're used to everything being this quick win. So I, I'm used to, like you just said, I, I very much cheat and want to find the solution before I even start. So that's the opposite of using this model. So to me, this would be such a good control mechanism for my brain to keep going back in the loop and asking why and not going for the obvious solution. So when I get all of the sub-processes and I'm ready to attack them, do you have a way to rank them or do you suggest people uh, contact you, larger organizations that are really serious about an issue and they're trying to tackle it? You know, how would they kind of work with the model? Is it easy for someone once they kind of go to your site and read it to systematically go through it if you have that really analytical mind or is it something that you really think is helpful if people reach out to you guys because clearly it's your model do you want to uh, collaborate with people or is this more of a, a process that people can take and once they know it kind of work on their own with it or could be both <laughs> well um uh, excellent question um the, there's a whole industry that has grown up around root cause analysis and i would estimate at least ten thousand problems a day are solved in industry by root cause analysis it's huge um, but when a new tool like that goes to a new industry, in this case, it goes from solving hard technical problems to big social problems, um, people working on those would do best to contact us um, after they've looked at some of the Thwink.org material. Um, <clears throat> Holly, you also asked about uh, how many times do we ask why and what about the sub-problems. Yes. Uh, one, one of the unique things about the system improvement process is it says for any large-scale difficult social system problem there's a minimum of three reusable sub-problems. One is the original problem which we call prop improper coupling that is one system is obviously improperly coupled to another one. In the case of environmental sustainability the human system is just not coupled properly to the, the greater system around it, the biosphere. And as, as a result, the right feedback loops are missing and the two systems are not working in harmony. Um, the Another common sub-problem in all different, excuse me, difficult uh, problems of this type is change resistance. And so by by cleaving the one big problem into several problems, you can analyze them separately and you can analyze change resistance and find its root cause and address that completely separately. For example, uh, 350.org has some excellent solutions to the original problem. But how, how are so many organizations like that going to overcome this wall of change resistance, which unfortunately has gotten stronger in the recent uh, U.S. election? How are they going to do it? Thwink.org exactly. says, hey, we need to, to address this problem. Yes, Holly? 
you're you are just I, I could pay you for every one of our lead in uh, right now we're ready for a break and you always bring up the topics that are just great teasers for the next segment so uh, we just started discussing the walls of resistance and I know that this is one of your huge factors in addition to the model focusing on the root causes the sub uh, problems being identified the walls of resistance is a key point so we're going to come back after a quick break and focus on what you do once you've identified a key wall of resistance so we'll be right back opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to the program. We are here with Wink.org, and we are talking about the system improvement process, SIP, as they like to call it for short. Um, Again, it talks about the problem definition. We really quickly go to the root cause analysis, which is one of the fundamental cores of the model, the process. Then we were just starting before the break to get into something that is really meaty, and that is really change resistance. And that is something that I believe, Philip, you wanted to touch on with us because this is something that is, um, well, once you identify this successfully, that's when everything, the rubber hits the road, right? <laughs> well, as Jack mentioned just before the break, uh, the, the, it, it is really the uh, one of the fundamental um, issues within all of these large social problems is, is change resistance. And uh, I was going to just... Uh, you know, it's part of the the deep analysis that uh, that is required during the uh, d- during the various steps in the system improvement process. Um, uh, breaking it down into sub problems, one of those sub problems being change resistance. So um, I was just going to make the point that um, this change resistance is almost always uh, systemic. In other words, it's the system that provides the uh, the, the change resistance. It's very rarely individuals um, providing the uh, the blocker. And uh, I think we have a tendency to assume that a particular people or a particular group of people 
would provide the block. But in fact, it tends to be um, um, a system that drives the behaviours of those groups of people or individuals um, towards resisting change. And uh, uh, in uh, in the business world, in the engineering world, we would look at uh, key performance indicators as being potentially uh, part of that uh, change resistance, the, the, the incorrect um, key performance indicators. And, and also just before the break, um, Jack was talking about being um, incorrectly uh, coupled to the... Uh, to, to the system um, around it, so um, uh, that, that's that's where I was going. I, I want the listeners to to understand it's very rarely individuals or, or small groups of people that are providing the change resistance. It's the system itself. So, Jack, um, I, th- I think this is uh, really part of the fundamental differences that we found during uh, the development of SIP is that change resistance is is not only it's, I feel it's always the most important issue, uh, the, the most important sub-problem to solve, but uh, what, what do you think? Uh, yes, yes. Um, our, our peer-reviewed published paper uh, was all about change resistance because it appears to be the crux of the problem, and that is we know what we should do. We should try to keep uh, um, <clears throat> uh, greenhouse gases under 350 parts per million, but we're not doing it. We're almost at 400 due to high change resistance. We know what to do, but we just can't do it as a civilization. Why is that? The only way to answer that question is root cause analysis. So yes, we give change resistance the, the very highest priority as, as the sub-problem to analyze and solve. And once it's solved, the system will have low change resistance and it will now say, I really want to be sustainable, so to speak. Exactly. Fantastic. So I know when we talked about this, to me, when I think of, we talked about classic activism, because that's really what we're talking about, the model that doesn't work, right? So what's lacking with relying on classic activism? Because again, it's valiant effort. Everyone is impassioned for it. It gets a lot of momentum. But again, um, with the policies that are going on, everything is kind of driven from what you're saying. It's below that dotted line in the diagram. So it's the things that are hidden and not seen. So classic activism is kind of just, is it just, the problem that it's only touching the uh, top of the line? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the superficial layer of the problem, which is the easy layer to see. You know, no significant analysis is necessary. Um, but like the field of medicine, if, if you don't know what the root cause is, you're going to guess and guess and guess, and eventually a solution might work, but more often the patient dies. Um, it's a real problem. So the first thing Thwink.org did before we even developed the system improvement process was try to understand the current process. And so we diagrammed how classic activism works. And then we could say we could easily see what was missing. That was root cause analysis. So from that, we developed the, uh, the system improvement process, and, and which is what we're presenting today. So, Holly, when uh, when I happened upon Thwink.org um, about 10 years ago, it was the term classic activism that attracted me, actually. I was wondering, what the hell does that mean? Uh, that, that sounds like an interesting term, and, uh, and, and Jack has done a wonderful job in uh, uh, coining a term there. And um, it's not quite right to say classic activism doesn't work. It certainly works. It certainly works on smaller problems. It works on cleaning up a small lake, for instance, and yes. identifying easy to, easy to solve. So it's not quite I, – I, I would never say classic activism doesn't work. What it doesn't work on 
is the global sustainability problem. It's just too huge and complex and, and hasn't uh, arrived at the, in, in our view at least, hasn't arrived at the root cause analysis step and therefore um, is only seeing superficial solutions or at least um, you know, one or two layers of superficial solutions without going deep into the, uh, the root causes and the, those fundamental solutions. And uh, that's really, uh, as uh, Jack used the word crux, of the matter um, earlier, it, it, to me, that's where it's, it sits, is that this notion that classic, classic activism has uh, pulled up short of what is needed, um, despite 30 or 40 years of fantastic and heroic efforts in, uh, in trying to solve the, uh, the global sustainability problem. And all that Thwink.org is trying to suggest is that, that, uh, that we, uh, we use a different process to arrive at those root causes and to find those fundamental, uh, fundamental layers. Perfect. Yes, and you are so correct. We do have um, on the line, and we will have after this next break, we have a few minutes before the break, but after our next break, we do have uh, some additional guests joining us. We have both Melissa and Bryce. They're from 350.org, as you are mentioning, the 350 parts. That is a very important number, hence the name of their organization. So um, before we get on to the break and bringing on our additional members of today's discussion, is there any last thoughts or insights you'd like to share with the uh, audience? Well, thank you very much. Um, I have had some interesting conversations lately about how to solve the environmental sustainability problem. And, and the most common strategy I hear over and over again is we need a people's revolution. We need people to rise up and, and get this problem solved in the right direction. And Thwink.org would like to politely disagree with that consensus. Um, we Thwink, so to speak, uh, quite differently at Thwink.org. We think we don't need a people's revolution. We need a process revolution. And there's a tremendous amount of precedent that we can follow. Uh, before the scientific method, all of science was stuck in the mud. It was unable to move forward. It, it, it couldn't go no, anywhere. But once the scientific method, which is a universal process for all science problems, once it was invented, everything changed. And today we're getting the benefits of that change because the, the, the process revolution that resulted led to the scientific revolution, the age of enlightenment, and goodness knows, the industrial revolution, which brought us the internet eventually. It even brought us huh, ifornature.com, or .org, I should say. Mm-hmm. So, um, to me, that's the, a closing thought. We don't need a people's revolution. We, we kind of need a process revolution here. Yeah, it, uh, just to finish that off, Jack, I think that it, it is a process revolution, um, and, uh, and, and that just really comes out of the notion that we need a process that fits the problem. I think, uh, without belaboring the point too much, this particular class of problems um, really does need uh, that, uh, that different uh, process, and uh, if, we don't, uh, if we don't use a different process to what we're uh, coining the term uh, classic activism, if we don't use analytical activism, then uh, I think we are destined to continue to have um, partial success only in the environmental sustainability problem. Well, I thank you. And again, uh, this is just a fantastic discussion. It's a great model. 
Um, it's hard to do service to the model because it's really something that's in-depth and you really want to take some time looking at it. So I definitely suggest anyone go to thwink.org. Uh, you've heard from both Jack and Philip. They're very insightful, thoughtful, fantastic, heartfelt people that are passionate about this and would love to assist you. So anyone out there looking for their assistance, I would direct you to leverage them. Thank you for all of your thought and time that went into creating this model, all of your years of just insight. Uh, I hope that people are using this to just help us move important missions forward. And with that, um, when we come back after this next break, we're going to um, be talking with Melissa and Larry. They are here representing uh, 350.org, and 350.org's mission is to build a global climate. Excuse me. <laughs> 350.org's global mission is to build a global climate movement. Thank you. So we'll be right back after the break to talk more with Larry and Melissa. And thank you, Philip and Jack from Thwink.org. It was a very great discussion. I love your model, and I hope that we are um, more people will be using it and asking the question, why, and getting to the root of the analysis. So thank you so much. We'll be right back with Larry and Melissa. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to our final segment of our program series, Stewardship Through Respect. Our final show guests are Melissa and Larry. They are here representing 350.org, and as I mentioned before the break, uh, 350.org's mission is to build a global climate movement, Uh, and I thank God we're all in this together. Uh, No one could solve all of these problems by themselves, and I love a challenge, and I know that I couldn't do it. (laughs) So speaking of being time for collaboration, that is why we have on our next guest. They have a fabulous story about collaboration. I love they're at a great stage of really just getting some good traction here in the city of Chicago, 
And so uh, without further ado, I would just love to bring on Melissa. She is Melissa Bryce, a scientist with a bachelor's in chemistry, a master's in environmental science from University of Illinois. She is the founder of the local Chicago chapter of 350.org. In August of 2013, Melissa completed the Al Gore Climate Reality Leader Training, and she has been presenting the science behind climate and solutions to students and citizens throughout the Chicagoland area. So I'd like to start with welcoming Melissa and asking her to provide some background on the 350.org initiative. And just recently, um, that moment we talked about when you just realized that you were gaining momentum and how great that felt. Uh, just a couple of minutes to just, again, talk about the background of 350.org and um, that moment of just gaining traction, how wonderful that felt. We love um, highlighting success stories. So welcome to the program, Melissa. Thank you, Holly. I'm really excited to be on. It's a very exciting time for the local Chicago chapter. So thanks for having us. Um, so we started the Chicago chapter. All local chapters within 350 start organically just by citizens of those communities who feel like they want to get involved. So Larry and I started really vigorously working on a fossil fuel divestment campaign two years ago. So our goal is to have a resolution passed through city council that would divest the city's four pension funds and operational budget from the top 200 oil, coal, and natural gas companies. And so because Larry and I were new to organizing and also new to the investment movement, um, we knew we wanted to be associated with 350, and one of their major campaigns is fossil fuel divestment. So we spent our first year really grounding ourselves in the research because we were new to it. We wanted to have a thorough understanding and be really convincing with our arguments. There are three arguments that follow the divestment campaign. There's the moral argument that if it's wrong to wreck the planet, it's wrong to profit from that wreckage. There's the political argument that we need to get a political discourse going and we need to reduce the stranglehold by um, the fossil fuel company on meaningful climate legislation. And there's also the financial argument why fossil fuels are a bad investment. So we spent the first year reading everything and synthesizing all of that information and those three arguments into a four-page document that then we would share with city officials. So then we spent this last year strategically approaching different aldermen. There are 50 aldermen, each representing a different ward within the city. And so there's a lot of heavy lifting to do in reaching out to them. So we wanted to be strategic about our approach and efficient with our time. And we wanted to get momentum going. So we started with um, a really favorable alderman, Scott Waggiespeck, who's a prominent leader in the Progressive Caucus. And he was the first alderman that said we should definitely pursue this, and he said he would take it to the Progressive Caucus. And then we, he gave us a list of other aldermen who were not part of the Progressive Caucus, but he thought would be really favorable to our cause. And then we started doing 30-minute meetings with them takes a lot of persistent um, emailing and calling to get a meeting. We also attended different ward nights. And so after we got those aldermen on board, we started to look at who was the head of different caucuses and different committees and just tried to be very efficient by having the heads of those caucuses then take information and share them with the rest of the caucus. So after a year of all of these meetings, um, we also met with the city treasurer and the chief sustainability officer who are very prominent in environmentalism and obviously with the finances with divestment, all of the aldermen wanted us to have met with them. So we made sure to meet with them. 
And then um, in December, on December 14th, Alderman Arena and Alderman Garza were the first to say that we will take this resolution and introduce it into City Council. And we just watched Alderman Arena hustle on December 14th and was able to get 39 of the aldermen to sign on to the resolution. And so we felt like our... All of the work we did up front to meet with them, make sure they were prepared with the information, because Alderman Regispec said that you know aldermen obviously don't want to be just blindsided by new information at a city council meeting. So we actually did email all 50 aldermen with our resolution and with our um, four-page document. And Regispec really helped us by setting us up with Progressive Caucus Communications Director to help us get media attention and also with a legislative aide who helped us craft our resolution. So we're very grateful to Progressive Caucus for standing behind us, providing us with resources, and then just our continued persistence to educate the city council so that when the resolution was introduced, it was easier to get them to sign on. Yes, and it's just such a fantastic story of collaboration. That's what struck me when you told me this story. It was just such a great method of you guys just being prepared. Again, you just knew what you wanted to do. You were passionate about it. You were just very prepared. You had all of everything prepared ahead of time. You sent things to things. You were very diligent, tenacious. You kept attacking the same things, um, focusing on your key points, and you got the message across. So, again, that moment when you were at the caucus and they just said, um, wow, before the meeting, we've been hearing great buzz about you. Like, how wonderful was that moment for you when you thought, oh my gosh, all this, like we just mentioned, the hard work, the pre-scheduling, all the moving, contacting people. Uh, we just like to, for all the people out that are they're still in the trenches doing that, to uh, revel and share in your successful moment. Yes, that's a great point. And sorry, I left that out initially, but that was really exciting for us because we were wondering are we getting traction within the city council? Are they talking to each other about us? Do they know we're coming? And so when we had the meeting with Alderman Sawyer, he said, you know, I was warned, or not warned, but like told you guys were coming, and there was a buzz about you guys, and, you know, it just kind of had a positive tone to the word buzz. So we were excited that we were starting to get some attention. Yes, and that was just such a good validation point for everybody that is out there and still, like I say, definitely in those points of making the action and you don't know how close you might be to hitting that tipping point so keep on the journey so Melissa thank you for sharing that with us and now I would like to um, introduce Larry so Larry is with us he's Larry Coble he holds a bachelor's in audio engineering a master's in writing and both of those are from Columbia College in Chicago he's interested in social justice issues during his career he's been involved in the anti-contra Central American war movement in the 80s he um, acted as a volunteer with the Westside Alliance for Safe and Toxic Free Environment that has the best acronym, WASTE, in the 90s um, during the efforts to shut down the uh, poison-emitting garbage incinerator here at Chicago and Kilbourne. So um, right now, Larry is happily coordinating events for the Chicago Media Watch and collaborating with Chicago Chapter of 350.org, and he's just helping to continue their efforts and working to convince the city of Chicago to divest in its operating budget and pension funds. So um, as we're closing out the show here, I would just love to have you come on and just talk about just your, I know you're having meetings with this um, momentum going, you're having meetings, uh, how people can locally attend the meetings, or if there's anything that the global listeners who are passionate and want to get involved, how they could um, help support you or do something similar in their local area. Um, could you come on and welcome Larry and just help kind of close out the show with any of your highlights or just you know reiterating any of the key points that Melissa brought up for us of successful collaboration? 
Well, thank you for, for having me on, Holly. I appreciate it, and I appreciate us you having uh, Chicago 350 join you today. Um, I guess some of the things that you know, uh, if you want to get involved, uh, we do have our website on Facebook, Chicago 350. Uh, you can find us on our website at world. Uh, dot three fifty uh, slash Chicago uh, or dot org slash Chicago. Um, we have a Twitter page; it's active. Um, the other thing is, we typically are having our meetings at least once a month. Our strategy meetings. We also have um, our once a month happy hours, where we just sort of get together at Patty Long's over on Diversity and. Um, uh, Sheffield, and that we found that you know one of the some of the lessons that we learned that were quite valuable to us was the fact that we had did a lot of outreach uh, to different people through different means through social media through meetup um, and having a lot of one on one meetings with people who were interested in in um, joining us just to talk with them and, and ask them why they were interested in getting involved and what they thought that they could lend to us as far as uh, their own sort of talents. Um, and this, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I wanted to sort of touch on was the fact, talking about divestment, and one of the things that's really exciting right now is the fact that the technology uh, that is coming online that's going to help combat climate change as far as solar and wind uh, is really sort of reaching maturity, and it's reaching at a point where um, that, even like solar panels, they're being, you know, so many of them are being installed at this point um, that they've actually come down at so much in cost that they're far more competitive. They're more competitive than coal, and they're on, in some areas they're even outstripping the competitiveness of, you know, uh, natural gas. And, you know, and this is being reported on, you know, Bloomberg News, uh, the, uh, uh, the Energy Agency for the United States, um, it is basically reporting this. Uh, and so worldwide, this revolution is occurring. The only problem is it's That's not... That's fantastic. I'll enough. stop you there. Yes, this is great. Um, our last week's guest episodes were all about solar energy. So we had Solar Power Rocks on with Dan. And so I refer anyone who's interested and missed that episode to go back and take a look. But you are right. Uh, I, I think the environmental issues are thankfully at the top of everyone's mind. So uh, it is the top of the hour. I want to thank everyone, all of our guests for their time. And is our final show, I, of course, want to remind everyone... Uh, to be kind to yourself at this time of the year. It's kind of the time when I particularly like to do a little look back over the year, kind of assess myself. I think that's all fine and good, but everyone just be gentle, look back at what you've done, just realize, go back to the beginning of the year and think of how far you've come and celebrate each of those successes. So that's what we're all about, thwink.org. We're about modeling and then gaining success in the environmental movement. At 350.org, you guys are celebrating this great success of getting all these aldermen on board to help Chicago divest. So, everybody, in closing, um, just be kind to yourself and be kind to nature. So, happy holidays, happy new year, and good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stewardship Through Respect. Please join your host, Holly Wells, again for another edition next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll have more to talk about next week. Have a good weekend.